And um, tonight we are in Exodus, looking at the nine plagues, if you would turn there in your Bibles. Exodus, we're going to look at the end of chapter 7, but mainly starting in chapter 8, 9, and 10. Lord, we ask now you'd open your word to us to behold wondrous things from it. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. This um, cold I had is turning into something else now, so I'm, hopefully I'll make it through without coughing too much. But um, the first plague is found in chapter 7, verse 14, and this is where uh, the Nile is turned to blood. And look at verse 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod, stretch it out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, over all the pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout the land uh, of Egypt, both in the buckets of the wood and the pitchers of the stone. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river and in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of the servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And then it talks about how the fish died and they stank up the rivers. And the magicians, being powerful that they were, were able to cause more blood. You know, this is, this is sort of the ridiculous thing, right? I mean, if you had real power, you would undo the thing, right? It's like God says, I'll turn the water. I'm going to pollute it, turn it to blood. Well, I'll turn it right back to fresh water, and it'll be the sweetest water you ever drank. Now, that would have been impressive. But these guys are operating through the power of Satan. And uh, we, we understand that he was the chief angel in heaven, and he is on a chain. <laughs> God's got him on a chain, but he does let him work within limits. We see, like in the book of Job, when all the angels appeared to God, Lucifer appeared, and he said, hey, let me after Job. And God said, oh, only to this point. And then he loosened the chain and let it go a couple more lengths so you can touch Job, but only this far. But he continually limited it. And so... Um, Satan definitely has more power than he's able to use at this time. As we get to the last days in 1 Timothy 4, it says there's going to be new doctrines of demons. As we get into the book of Revelation in the seven-year tribulation period, Satan's going to have many signs and lying wonders causing the whole earth to, to believe that he is indeed uh, the true Messiah. And so... Um, you know, when you think of that story now about Elijah, when he said, whoever can call fire to heaven, that's the true God. Um, we discover in the book of Revelation, that's something Satan can do quite easily, is call fire to heaven. So when the bell worshipers were cutting themselves and pounding and all day, they were trying to get fire to come out of heaven and consume the sacrifice there before Elijah, it didn't happen. They were surprised. They really thought, and so the real miracle, I think, is not that Elijah called fire to heaven, but that Satan didn't. And God limited him at that time from calling fire out of heaven. Because we know that's definitely within the devil's grasp to do. And so only negative things, though. You know, calling fire out of heaven and, and destroying things and, and causing people to suffer. And so we're not going to see any good miraculous signs 
from these magicians who are empowered by the enemy, but just more negative ones. And so they could do the same thing. And so Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now, understand when we are reading the Bible, we are not reading Western-minded literature from the 20th century, okay? We, we are reading Eastern-minded literature written to only male adults. And, and so if you don't have that in mind, at times it's gonna, you're gonna go, well, I don't get it. Okay, when you read the newspaper, you, you don't read the funny papers the same way you read the, the financial part of the newspaper, do you? When you look at the charts of the Dow, you realize you got to know sort of about the Dow uh, and the NASDAQ and, and the S&P before you look at it, right? Are you just looking at a bunch of numbers? That would make no sense to you. So sometimes you have to have prior knowledge to understand what you're reading. The same with the Bible. Sometimes we have to understand the culture of the time before it begins to make sense. We need to understand the limitations man had, women had, children had, what it meant in that culture, in the Jewish culture, for example, to be the firstborn. Uh, very different uh, in, in most cultures of the world of all times. And so um, one of the, the, the things is that we have in our Western culture, when we say something, we always expect it to be precise, you know, it's estimated to be 72 degrees tomorrow at 10 o'clock and then 73 degrees at 11 o'clock. You know, the sun's going to rise at 6.58, you know. I mean, it, we, that's the way we operate. And so we, looking at the Bible, they don't always do that. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they want you to know. There was 157-something. You can say, well, that was an actual number. But when they say, like on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were saved, it wasn't like, wow, not 299 or 3,001. It was 3,000 exactly. Wow. No, it wasn't. You know, it was, it's, it, they weren't trying to give you an exact number in that case. But then we also have things that, um, they're, they're, they're hyperboles, if you would, but they're not, they're not always meant to be exaggerations. They're trying to give you a feel, okay? So if, you, if I said, you know, how many people were at the, the Del Mar Fair uh, last Thursday? And I say, oh man, a billion people. And you're going, that's what I can't stand about your brain. You're such an exaggerator. You, there's not even a billion people in the United States at one time. You know, and I was like, hold it, hold it. I, I wasn't trying to give you a number. I, I was giving you a number that was an obvious hyperbole to give you a sense of how it felt, okay? And, and so in the same way as we go through Exodus, we're gonna see, and everything was polluted, everything was killed, every, and it's like, no, no, it, it wasn't. As you'll see, sometimes there's a little additions that you can see why that number isn't correct, but it's not trying to give you uh, an exactness. So. Um, we're going we're gonna, to, for example, see the Nile and all the waters were polluted, but then we see that they had water, that they went and had to dig up and get new water and so forth. So um, it's just simply trying to, to give you the sense that the, the Nile, which was their source of life, which also was one of their main gods, 
Happy, H-A-P-I, which was the God of the upper and the lower Nile. That was their life source. That's how they got all their crops. That's how they got all their water. Without the Nile, you couldn't, they couldn't have lived there in that area of Egypt, period. And so that was one of their main gods. And so God's going to later say that I'm basically chipping away, throwing all your gods back in your face to show you that none of them are gods. And there is only one God. And that's the God of the people you're enslaving. And they're my chosen people. And by the way, I created you. I'm your God. And you need to humble yourself and submit. But Noah, the Bible tells us, or excuse me, Pharaoh, the Bible tells us, you know, Pharaoh and Noah, they're very similar. You can see how they got mixed up. Um, uh, Pharaoh just continued to harden his heart. Now, that didn't happen. As the children of Israel, many situations, they were confronted by pagan leaders. And they humbled themselves, and we'll see them in heaven. I think of the Babylonian, the greatest empire that the earth has probably yet seen. Great Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to bow down to that burning fire, and he heats it up seven times hotter and throw those guys in, and they didn't die, Nebuchadnezzar believed. He repented. He really did repent, and he believed in the God of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And then later on, Nebuchadnezzar was humble again in the pride of his heart and became like an animal for seven years. After that, he repented again. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to another great king of the Persian Empire, Artaxerxes. And he repented and allowed Nehemiah to go back and to begin to build Jerusalem, build the walls and, and to strengthen it. I think of that prostitute Rahab that God said all the people of Jericho are a people that I want to vomit out of the land because of their wicked, idolatrous practices. But yet there was this one prostitute lady who believed, and we see her in the royal lineage of King David. God is willing to be the God and Savior of Jew and Gentile. We see that throughout the Bible. And so... As we are going to see later, a lot of people, a lot of times people don't know if you haven't really studied the book of Exodus, many Egyptians went out with the children of Israel. And understand, God allowed Gentiles to be, come into the Jewish faith. They can get circumcised, start living as Jews, and then they can be a part of the, the Jewish nation. And we're, we see Moabites and Ammonites and uh, Egyptians as well we're going to see as a part of that. So many of them did indeed believe. And so God is going to basically take these gods down one by one. Now, if you are listening or maybe you're reading commentaries and you're saying, well, Brian, I, you know, I heard another God besides Appy here. I, I heard also of Apis. Yeah, understand, guys, listen. They had thousands of gods. They had numbers of gods over the waters, rivers, um, over every animal in the rivers. And then typically they had something that had non-related, you know, like the, the god of the sky, for example, would also be the
the God of midwives. And you're like, how do those two things connect? I have no idea. You have to be an Egyptian thousands of years ago to get that. So understand there's, there's a number of gods that could apply, but, but people, they sort of take a guess and say, what would be the one top God that God is mocking here, if you would? And, uh, and then also it's in different spellings, different languages, depending on how you, uh, what, what, what uh, language you're studying out of, you'll have a different name for the same God. So if you're studying that, don't get confused. Well, chapter eight here now. After seven days had passed, the Lord had struck the rivers. The Lord spoke to Moses now in chapter eight, verse one, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go. They may serve me, but if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite you and your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and on your people, into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you and on your people and all your servants. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams and over the rivers and over the ponds and cause frogs to come up out of the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand and over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. More frogs, that's what we need. And Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron said, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. So here is the, the God uh, Heget, H-E-Q-E-T. And this is the God of fertility. And uh, again, they, they, if you look at the various pictures of the gods, they usually have some kind of image, sort of an Egyptian looking thing in, in these various shapes. But um, again, they worship these things. So they couldn't kill them. They couldn't injure them. And so when, you know, you got a frog you know, dozens, hundreds of them all over your house. You can't squash them and throw them outside. That's your God. You got to try to get them out. But when you open the door, open the window, more are coming in. And here's a very important thing you got to understand. That for these various priests and all the various Egyptian temples, which were thousands, they had to be pure. They had to have pure water, to consecrate themselves. They couldn't have a scratch on their body. Every three days, they would shave their body of all the hair and they could have no impurities, no blemishes, no scabbing, nothing on their bodies. And if you think about it, after the Nile, they, they couldn't get purified. So priests couldn't be priests. The temples were empty of priests being, they're all defiled. And now these frogs, <clears throat> are if you know if you've ever seen frogs they pee everywhere and they they just make everything a disease mess and uh and so here it's it's God basically saying here you here's your god is your god the frog a blessing to you it's like no um it's, it's an absolute curse. I need my God to go away because it's, uh, it's miserable here. But notice in verse nine, this is interesting. The Moses said to Pharaoh, he had some insight here, accept the honor of saying when I, shall, when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and your people to destroy the frogs from you and your house that they may remain in the river forever. So he says, hey, I'm gonna show you an honor 
and I'm gonna let you give the moment when all the frogs disappear or they die. It's over with. So you can know it's the hand of God. Now, anybody in their right mind would say what? Yesterday, <laughs> immediately. But notice what Pharaoh says. Ah, what about tomorrow? What? And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that I, there's none uh, like the Lord our God. So weird that he said, I mean, here he's being plagued and the people are plagued. They, they can't eat. They can't bathe. They can't sleep. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You know, jumping, splatting. These people stepping on them, crunching them, and there are guts everywhere. And, and it's like, ah, that's just, you know, another night with the frogs. Isn't, isn't that the way sin is sometimes? Oh, man, I, I know that drug is destroying my life, but I just bought a new bag of it. Soon as this bag is gone, then I'll say no more. One more night at the bar with the guys, and then the next day. You, you see, guys, that's a non-repentant heart. It's not a true heart that's ready to change. When God brings two, true saving repentance to a person, it is now. It, it, they don't want to, they don't want to grieve the heart of God. See, we are spiritual beings, guys. We can sense one another's spirit. We can sense somebody acting all happy, and you're like, something's wrong. They're, they're grieved. And you're like, hey, is everything? Oh, no, it's great. How's work? Oh, it's wonderful. You know, and you're just like, dude, I, I can sense the heaviness. What's going on? And then, uh, well, God's made it so all his creatures can also feel the spirit of God. Now, most people sin so much that they quench out that spirit. They can't hear the grieving of the Holy Spirit in their sin. But we as believers, when we get born again, boy, we can hear the Holy Spirit. We can sense the grieving when we sin. We can sense the joy when we worship and live in obedience. But we, we see here that, as David said in Psalm 32, against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned. There's a point where you're like, and you see it with little children. You know, they are playing, and some little kid tries to take their little toy truck and wham, hits them in the head. And all of a sudden, they throw the truck down, and they go, and they cry, and mom's, you know. And, and it's like, okay, yeah, Billy said he forgives you. I forgive you, you know, and gives him a pat. I forgive but he's just crying and crying. Why? Because that little child can still sense that he's, he has not just wronged another human being, but he's stepped across the line of sinning against God with that anger. And it's such a tender, precious little heart we see in, in, the, in the children. And as they get older, they start get their starts, hearts start getting more and more callous. And so there's, there's no real work where he's hearing a conviction of repentance from God. We see here, he's like, yeah, you know, whatever, tomorrow. And so he said, that's what's going to happen. And in verse 11, so all these frogs shall depart from you and your house and from your servants, from your people, remain in the river. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs, which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses and the frogs died out of the houses and the courtyards and out of the fields. And in verse 14, they gathered in together in heaps and the land stank. You know, I, I grew up with a lot of frogs in, in the valley, in the Central Valley where I grew up in California. And one thing you find out about frogs, when a frog dies, it's like a piece of leather. 
That, I mean, you can see that dead frog's remains eight months later, you know? Um, it just stays there. And so here, this God of their frogs, the God of Heket, is smelling, is stinking, is everywhere. And they're, they're shoveling up this God and burning it. And it's just a, a big, giant, burning, smelling trash heap. And Pharaoh saw that there was relief. Look at this in verse 15. What happened? He hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said he would. So again, guys, that man can sense a moment of relief, then you see what's in their heart. And I've seen this so many times where, you know, some guy will get a DUI. He knows he needs to stop drinking. But now he's got a DUI and he's a truck driver for a living, you know? And man, he's just, you know, he's just pale white day after day going, you know, I'm gonna lose my house, I lose my job, I'm gonna, I don't have another skill, what am I gonna do? And, and there's just sense of dread. And they're crying out to God and they're reading their Bible and they're praying and, and finally the day comes, they go to court and the judge says, you know what? If you'll do 30 days and this, I'll wipe your record clean. And they're like, oh, and they go out and drink that night. And, and you're just like, what's going on here? Because it's not a repentance that I have sinned and this sin is destroying me. It was simply, I got caught. I'm suffering the consequences. And as soon as those consequences stop, I go back right back to it. The, the Bible says in Proverbs that um, guard your heart for out of it flows all the issues of life. And you know what's in your heart, not when you're going through difficult times because even Pharaohs can repent. <laughs> In difficult times, hard-hearted guys that are in rebellion against God can, can show remorse in difficult times. It's when oh, relief comes and the pressure's not there. Now we're gonna see what's really in your heart. And this is why David cried out, Lord, search my heart, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. And boy, we, we all want that, don't we? Well, in verse 16, so the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice. Or um, it could also be translated gnats or even um, mosquitoes. So these, these words that we have here are, are Egyptian insect. And so we may not even have this precise insect uh, on our continent. It may have been a unique insect to Egypt, but it was something similar to a lice that bites. Now, remember what I said. The priests could have no markings on them. And these things are causing probably red dots all over them. Remember, the priests shave their heads. And so if they have uh, little red marks all over their head where they had little hair and lice sticking on, oh, you guys ever had lice? Don't raise your hand. It's a, uh, I have, you know, I had four kids and man, I mean, talking about expensive stuff, you know, it, it, it always hit us at the time where it's like, oh my goodness, you know, end up having to spend a hundred, two hundred dollars to sit there for hours with these little tiny combs and trying to get all those lice out of the head. And then you finally get them to go back to school, get them again. And you're like, oh, I'm going to go bankrupt over lice. 
And of course, they're just miserable little things, and everybody's scratching their head right now. Ugh. Yes, I know. I, same thing. I've been studying this all week, scratching, going, ugh. Okay, uh, let's get that out of our head here. But nevertheless, there was lice throughout the land of Egypt. God, again, is, is being hilarious, hilarious in, in my mind because uh, this, is, this is the God of Hepri, um, or excuse me, the God of Gib, G-E-B, which is uh, the God of the earth. They, again, they worshiped every type of bug and beetle. And, and if you've ever seen uh, Egyptian relics, you'll see every animal that you can imagine, cows and dogs and horses and cats and everything. But also, you'll see a number of different types of insects, many of them very unique looking, uh, not something we even can identify necessarily today. But um, stretch out your hand and get all these lice all over the place. And so Aaron stretched out his uh, hand and his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beasts, and all the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians so worked their enchantments to bring forth lice. But look in verse 18. What? They could not. So there were lice on man and beasts. Again, like that really would have been helpful to cause more lice on top of lice. But uh, insanity, man's insane. I, I'm amazed how insane the world is today. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Um, in verse 19, so the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God, or this is a, an act of the God. This, this God is more powerful than any God in Egypt. Out of all the thousands of gods, we're the most powerful of your priests. These two magicians we know in the New Testament, Jannies and Jambres were their names. It, it appears that they possibly became believers and followed the children of Israel right on out of Egypt uh, is, is the illusion as we, we look at it. But nevertheless here, um, they're saying this, this is the hand of God. We cannot thwart this. So Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did not heed them, just as the Lord said. It didn't, didn't matter to him. So he's got his own guy saying, submit, re, relent, re, stop doing this, Pharaoh. You can't win. You, even the most powerful things we have in the most powerful country known in the world at this time, we are no match. Didn't matter. Pharaoh's heart grew harder, uh, more stubborn. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out of the water and thus say, uh, to, so thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Let me just stop here to make a note that this was over a period of months, close to a year, okay? So between the Nile and uh, the next um, frogs, we know there was only seven days. But now on these other ones, weeks have probably gone by. And they're all fighting with these lice and everybody's got dots all over them and all over their face and probably permanent scarring from these lice that are biting other animals, biting them. It's just been a miserable time, a miserable season. They're finally getting over it. The Nile seems to be back to normal. The lice seem to be lessening. And uh, now he says, go on back down and confront Pharaoh again. And so he goes and he says uh, in verse 21, um, oh, say to Pharaoh, let my people go. 
And then in verse 21, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you, your servants, on your people, and into your houses. Houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, also on the ground which they stand. Now again, we were thinking like little house flies, not the case here. We, we have big giant horse flies. You guys ever had a horse fly land on you? They can grab like a chunk of meat. It feels like they just bit like a, took a hunk out of your flesh as they, they flew away. There's also other types of flies like that. They're about the size of a house fly, but when they land on you, they don't just irritate you. They bite you and you're, ow, and what was that? And it was just a little fly. This is what's going on. Now, now they're getting marks all over them. They already got marks from the lice. Now they got all these marks from these uh, meat-eating beetle type thing. This is the, the god of Capri, K-H-E-P-R-I, which is this beetle-headed god. So this is probably, again, an insect that uh, is not necessarily something that we would uh, think of immediately, but it's this beetle type of fly thing. And in verse 22, and in that day, I will set apart, interesting, the actual Hebrew word there is redeem, the land of Goshen. That's where the children of Israel lived uh, in Egypt in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. So now he separates it. And in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. So these flies are buzzing everywhere, but when they get to the border of the fertile land of Goshen, no flies are there as a testimony that God is sanctifying, setting apart his people from those of the Egyptians. And in verse 23, and I'll make a difference uh, between my people and your people, tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh and to his servant's house and to all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. You, you ever try to sleep and you, you wake up and this thing's landing on your ear, it's, you know, and on your face and, and swarms of these things. I mean, this, this, you know, day after day, you can't sleep, night after night. You, you're trying to get some rest and these things are just buzzing, buzzing, biting, buzzing. Your kids are crying, your dogs are squelching, uh, the cats are freaking out. Uh, all the cows are kicking the sides of the barns. This is a mess. And, um, and so this goes on for a while. And in verse 25, and Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God in the land though, in the land. Here's his first compromise. I'm gonna allow you to obey God, but in Egypt, you gotta stay here. And Moses said, no, 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 that's not right. Uh, because our sacrifices to our God would be an abomination to the Egyptians. And, uh, and they would stone us to death, he says. And in verse 27, we gotta go at least three days journey into the wilderness to sacrifice. And Pharaoh said, well, okay, I'll let you go sacrifice your holiness. But notice here he says, don't go very far away. And pray for me, intercede for me. So again, he, he's not letting them go. And this is again where a lot of times where, where people are, are, are saying, well, I, 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 I'm no longer fighting against God. I just don't want to completely yield to his will. That's not true salvation either, guy. 
There, there is no, well, I'll start following God, but that just means going to church and, and you know, going in late, of course, and leaving right as the pastor's praying. And, and uh, that's assuming I get a good parking place, but you can't find a good parking place. I got to park in the back of the church lot. And, you know, that's God showing me to go home. And, uh, but, you know, if I get a good parking place, I get the seat I want, uh, as long as I can go in late and leave early and not have to talk to anybody, you know, yes, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to follow Christ as long as I don't have to read the Bible every day and pray. And, you know, I don't want to pray after every meal. It's like, you know, those weirdo Christians do. No, it's, it's a full obedience or no obedience. There, there is no partial yielding to the will of God and true saving faith take place. But pray for me. But again, this isn't necessarily showing he has faith. He's just miserable. Bites from the lice, bites from all these flies. He's, he's been going on for months. He hasn't slept well. The people are irritable. Uh, and in verse 29, and Moses said, indeed, I'm going out from you and I entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people, but let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore, nor letting the people go sacrifice to the Lord. Moses went out Pharaoh and treated the Lord. So I'll call off the flies, but understand that you need to be a man of your word from this point forward. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses and he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. And again, this is one of those things that, you know, is there zero, any kind of flies anywhere? No, this particular kind of beetle fly that was there is no longer in mass number irritating the people. But Pharaoh hardened his heart as at that time also, neither would he let the people go. So he was deceitful still. And in chapter 9, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go, they may serve me. And if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle. Notice these next three words, in the field. So it's not saying all the cattle everywhere, but in the field in particular. And on the horses, the where they had Egyptians were known for their amazing horses and their donkeys and their camels and their oxen and their sheep, very severe pestilence. <clears throat> and um, the Lord, again, made a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. Nothing shall die of that of the children of Israel. And so it happened just as the Lord had said in the pestilence. And this would be... Uh, probably the, the first God that would be attacked here would be the God of Hathor, H-A-T-H-O-R, which is the shape of the bull God. And so this bull God was the, the God protecting uh, Egypt from pestilence and, and protecting all the, the creature animal type things. And so he's basically showing this God has no power whatsoever. But again, Pharaoh hardened his heart and uh, and in verse 8, Moses, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take yourself handful of ashes from the furnace and let uh, Moses scatter it towards the heavens and the side of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt. And it will cause boils that break out uh, on the sores on man and beast throughout all of the land of Egypt. Now, some commentators speculate here that they were doing numbers of infant and people sacrifices 
to try to get their gods to stop these plagues. And uh, some say it's all these cattle that died. They're having to burn them all because they're all diseased and they can't let them disease all the other animals. We don't know, but there was clearly uh, some ashes everywhere. Again, they just burned a bunch of frogs and, and, and so forth. And as he throws it, they got boils all over their bodies. Anybody ever have chicken pox? You can raise your hand on that one. Uh, it's not like lice. Yeah, I, I had a, when I was a kid, we had a long block and there was probably 50 kids all at once had a chicken pox. And uh, if you didn't have it, the parents would say, go over and give your neighbor a big giant hug because they wanted everybody to have it to get through with it. But I, I can remember that some people had a very, very bad, uh, very painful, I uh, have scars from it. And so again, the Egyptian priests can't have scars on their body and be a priest. They've got to be perfect. And so he's basically scarring up these guys, keeping them from being qualified to be priests in the future. And uh, this time, boils are not just on man, but also on the beast. And uh, so you have some very uncomfortable animals. The dogs are crying and the cats are meowing and, and all the animals are mooing and in and, and great pain. And this is what's so funny now in verse 11, the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. So they, they were not able to go into the presence of Pharaoh because they themselves were so hideous looking that uh, they weren't qualified to, to be in the royal courts. But Again, Pharaoh's heart, the Lord hardened it. He's confirming his hardness. First, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then God said, okay, I'm going to confirm that hardness to show my power. And in verse 13, the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh and say, thus is the Lord, God of the Hebrews, let my people go, they may serve me. Now listen, chapter 9, verse 14 here. For at this time, I will send all my plagues in your very heart and on your servants, and on your people, that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off, put to death from the earth. So understand that I could have just, the very first plague could have been everybody in Egypt dying. That would have been nothing for me to do. But I didn't do that. Why? Because God is bringing them, trying to bring them to repentance. It says Ezekiel, God does not rejoice in the destruction of the wicked. God wishes all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So he's showing his power to the children of Israel, but he's also showing it to the Egyptians. But in verse 16, but indeed for this purpose, I've raised you up that I may show my power in you that my name may be declared in all the earth. And it's interesting that it seems like throughout the planet Earth, wherever you go, you can refer back to this story of what happened with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Egyptians, the story of Moses, if you would. People know it, and they know it well. And of course, movies have been made, some of the most famous movies of all times, on this very subject. And so I, I can very much say that God has perpetuated certain stories in the Bible very clearly to every culture throughout the world through almost all of times. And this is one of them. Well, now he says, um, 
in verse uh, 17 and 18, um, I want you now to go and, and call for some very heavy hell to rain down. And this would be the God of Newt, N-U-T, the God of the sky. And uh, he says there that everybody who's a believer in Egypt, he says in verse 19, go get your animals, bring them out of the fields, bring them into your homes, lest they die. And interesting enough, in verse 20, it says, some did fear the, the word of the Lord. And they went and they did exactly that. But then, believe it or not, others, just like Pharaoh, were like, no way. I don't believe that's going to happen. And they left their livestock out in the field. And in verse 22, the Lord said, uh, put your hand towards the heaven and they may hell all the earth and on man and beast and every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod towards heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hell and notice fire darted to the ground. So I don't know what kind of storm this was, but I grew up uh, for a few years in the South and I've seen hell the size of golf balls. I remember one time it hit and all the car lots were so damaged um, that the cars couldn't really be sold. Um, and of course, if your car was outside, it was damaged. But I, I've been hit by hell about the size of a marble and it hurt. It felt like you got hit by a baseball and you had a big bruise on you. And so this hell is coming down. And of course, the thunder, I uh, hate thunder like that, you know, where it shakes the windows and your stomach. And it's just a horrible feeling. I hate that. And, and, and then, of course, it's just pounding. Every living plant and tree is getting pummeled by this hell and, and by this fire. And so you're looking at the lush Egyptian country turning looking like the moon, <laughs> turning to ash, turning to dust. So imagine people have been bitten up, they're scarred up, the priests can't purify themselves any longer. Everybody, man and beast, have boils all over their body, their faces are permanently damaged from the boil scarring. And now they're looking at their yards, nothing green is left. It's, it's just been broken and tossed. And, and of course, uh, not on the land of Goshen. That didn't happen. But notice verse 27. And then Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, what? I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thunder or hell for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. You say, wow, he repented. No. <laughs> Guys, James chapter two makes it clear. Faith without works is dead. And he said, let me give you an example, James says. Think of demons. Do demons believe in God? Yeah, they used to serve him in heaven. Do they believe in Jesus? Yeah, they, don't, they didn't like him very much. Um, Lucifer tried to overthrow him. They believe in Jesus. Well, does that mean they're saved? Well, maybe. I mean, the Bible says believe in the name of the Lord. No, no. Guys, this is saving faith. You want nothing more than the will of God. God, I yield my life to you. Jesus, I want to walk and talk and live for your pleasure. Live the way you'd have me to live. Ask yourself, is that what the demon's saying by saying, I believe in Jesus? They cried out, Jesus, Lord. And Jesus had to muffle them. Quit proclaiming who I am. 
This is Jesus, the son of the living God. And you have to shut those demons up. They knew who he was. Then he says the next step. Well, you're moved emotionally by the name of Jesus. He said, demons are, at the name of Jesus, demons shudder. They cry out, Lord, don't torture us before the time. Lord, you have all power. Let us come out of this man and go into these pigs. <laughs> they, they know Jesus is Lord and they shudder at the name of Jesus. And so there's people that say, man, every time I hear amazing grace, I know I'm born again because I cry and cry and cry. Well, no, I, you can have an emotional stirring towards Jesus. And this is what's going on with Pharaoh. He realizes there is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe he exists. I, and, and I am trembling at his name. I, I am emotionally stirred by what he's doing and has effect upon our life. But see, true saving faith is a yielded life into the will of God. And that is not happening. How will we know? Well, you, we can't. We've got to look. We've got to wait. We've got to ask ourselves, do we see a saving faith in action in his life? Not at all. Once again, as soon as the relief was gone, what happens? He goes right back to hardening his heart. And in verse 34, when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hell and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart. And so in chapter 10 here, he once again hardens his heart. And the Lord says in verse 3, Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? That's the issue, isn't it? Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts on your territory. So everything's pummeled by the hell and by the, been burned by the fire, but whatever is green left is gonna be gone. Anything that can be chewed up will be gone. And uh, this would be the God of Osiris, um, the God of the underworld, but also the God of crops and vegetation. And, uh, and so this incredible amount of locusts come upon the land. You can't even see the land, it says. These locusts are so thick, eating up everything. I grew up in the valley, and I've seen my share of locusts. And I'll tell you a couple of things that are weird about them. When they fly, it, it is the loudest, most intimidating noise. And when you get a group of them flying, it's like, it sounds like a plane. It's so loud. But here's an interesting thing. When they chew, it's loud. And when a bunch of them start chewing, they sound, it sounds like a big animal eating. But it's just, a, you know, I've seen locusts get pretty big. So you can imagine these locusts, eating and it's a thunderous noise when they fly it's a thunderous noise and they just cover everything it's like literally if they're flying in the daytime they can block the sun and make it seem like night they can get so thick uh it's it's an amazing thing they, they of course they have uh they have this on film now you can see it uh google it and uh, anyway this happens um, and that's the, the plague number eight. And then they still won't let him go. And in verse 21, the Lord says, stretch your hand, I'm gonna put darkness. Now this would be the God, their main God, Ra, the sun God. The sun God is gonna have no power. For three days, it's gonna be so dark, it can be felt. 
Josephus in his writing says this, that the darkness felt so thick that if somebody tried to move, they would actually not be able to breathe. So this is a darkness like I can't even imagine. Now I've been several stories underground in a cave system in Kentucky. And uh, he said, cover up every watch, anything that has any glowing. And, and it was completely, he shut off the light and it was so dark. I mean, you, you could, it was just, I, I've never experienced anything like it. But he said, you know, you think these guys investigating these caves would have to have a lot of light. But let me show you, when it's completely dark, he lights one match. And it was a cave, you know, this is a 1,500-seat sanctuary here. And it, it was probably close to this big where we were at. It was huge, about three stories underground. And one match, you could see that entire cave. Takes when it's dark, 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 so it takes a little bit of light. So be encouraged in these last very dark days that we're in. And so he, he tells them now, you must go. And that he said, okay, you can go. But then Moses lets him know in verse 25, uh, you must give us all the sacrifices and the burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also will go with us. Not a hoof, I love this, not a hoof will be left behind. Uh, Spurgeon has a wonderful sermon on that. When we're surrendering our life to Christ, when God's calling us out of Egypt, calling us out of darkness, God says all of us gotta go, right? Spirit, soul, and body, everything we possess, all our dreams, our hopes, our future, all our family, all our finances, with all our heart, we have to say, we're gonna love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, not a hoof left behind. And of course, Pharaoh hardened his heart at this. And in verse 28, Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Wow. So we have nine plagues here. There's one more to go. And that's gonna be next week. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we just ask, Lord, as we go line upon line, precept upon precept, here there a little, here there, um, reading the word of God as, as uh, Paul told Timothy to give ourselves to the reading of scripture as you told Nehemiah to give it a sense. We just ask now that as we meditate upon these things, as we read them and study them on our own, to show ourselves approved, you would deeper and deeper speak it into our lives. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.